In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. This week, Nathan is off from the podcast. Um, so we have a bit of a less traditional Perspectrum episode for you. Um, my friend, uh, deep thinker, uh, software engineer, master's degree in philosophy, Connor Haynes, will be my co-host. And we're going to be having a couple really interesting conversations. One will be about um, distraction and how in the ways in which the world uh, is becoming seemingly more distracting and the kinds of implications and harms that can have for all of us. Um, and then we'll have another conversation about like the experience of being drawn to travel, right? Like outside of your normal life, away from your career, like a growing number of people seem to be leaving traditional paths in order to find meaning by traveling around. And we'll talk about our own experiences with that and, um, you know, whether ultimately that's a good path. Um, but first we'll start off by talking about the COVID numbers and then we'll get into it with Connor. So worldwide we've hit 534 million cases, which is up from 531 million last week. So that's 3 million new cases in a week, or about 430,000 new cases per day, uh, which is actually down from 570,000 new cases per day last week, so down about 25%. In terms of death worldwide, we've hit 6.32 million deaths, which is up from 6.31 million the week before. So that's about 10,000 new deaths in a week, uh, which is about the same as the last two weeks. In terms of vaccination rate, worldwide, we've hit 67.6% of the world's population with, with one dose, um, up 0.2% from last week. In the U.S., we've hit 86.2 million cases, which is up from 85.7 million the week before. So that's up 500,000 new cases in a week, or about 71,000 new cases per day, which is actually down from 107,000 new cases per day the week before, which is about a decrease of 34%. In terms of death, we've hit 1.032 million deaths in the U.S., which is up from 1.031 million the week before. That's about 1,000 new deaths in a week, which is about half the rate of the last two weeks. And in terms of vaccination, we're pretty much exactly in the same vaccination levels as we were last week, except 1% more people got their second dose. So for our first segment tonight, we are talking about distraction. It's probably an experience that most of us have had where you just can't seem to focus for a particularly long amount of time. I know I've experienced this a bunch, like the thought of sitting down for an entire day and like reading a book, something that I would have easily and readily done as like a kid seems almost preposterous to me now. And that's in many ways, like 
disturbing. <laughs> I don't know about you, Connor, but like that, that kind of blows my mind. Yeah. It's it. Um, it kind of depresses me a, yeah. a little bit. I, I used to read a lot and I, I struggle to now. And um, I think what surprises me so much is reading used to be one of the great pleasures in my mm-hmm. life. Yeah. It was one of the activities I spent the most time doing and also felt like I got the most value and joy out of. Mm-hmm. I could lose myself in, in books and stories. Yeah. Um, reading is like the ultimate VR. It's so much better than any other technology. <laughs> Our brains are yeah. so powerful and so capable. Yeah. Um, and, and now I really struggle to pick up a book. I need to be very intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I hope we can tease apart in this conversation is, did I just change mm. or has, has life changed as well in, in ways mm. that are kind of pervasive and, and systemic that have perhaps influenced my inability to focus? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what it requires, right? It requires sustained attention, focus, and it requires sustained engagement in what you're doing right it's like the only way you reach that deep experience of like the world that you're reading is by engaging with the material really deeply and that i think those two things apply to like any very mentally engaged activity whether it's like thinking deeply about a subject trying to we were talking about this before hopping on trying to like innovate about you know a work problem or something like that it all requires like sustained focused engaged attention um and that's something that like it seems like anecdotally we're able to do less and there's some like research from uh, sociologists or psychologists and neurologists that seem to be, uh, that seem to be indicating that as well. So like what we don't have is, is, um, like a good, like pre-industrial, pre-modern age distraction, post-modern age distraction tests, right? We don't have like a comparison of people's ability to focus on something before and after like the modern age, but we do have is something pointed out by, uh, the, in the book that you, uh, mentioned to me yeah, uh, stolen uh, focus by uh, Johan Hari. Hari? Yeah. yeah yeah was that we do know that there are many things that like that we know hurt our ability to sustain focus for a long period of time and we know that those things are proliferating um, like what what what, uh, what hurts your focus Michael <laughs> Like personally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if I was just ask you, like, hey, like, what do you think is most likely to, yeah, uh, make you lose your train of thought mm. or bring you out of a state of flow or productivity? Yeah, in your life. Yeah, I think it's like. So my most common experiences with being distracted come from two sources. One is probably super obvious and super common. And one is probably less obvious, but no less common. So the first is like, I think like notifications. <laughs> I know like that that's like a broad term, but it, like technological 
interruptions of my train of thought, whether it's Slack at work, email, um, you know, text messages, all that stuff. Like that, that interruption is one of the most common and probably like very familiar to people. The other is just my own train of thought changing. Like mm. literally I'll be thinking about a subject and for a reason unknown to me, I lose focus on that subject. My brain, my mind wanders to another subject. What do you, what about you? What do you think? Interesting. I, I I'm wondering, Hmm. I, so I completely agree on the first one. No, mm-hmm. Notifications. Um, I, I think it's become almost a daily occurrence that I'm in meetings with people. We're in the middle of discussing a topic and someone, you ask a question or someone, somebody's like partially responding, then goes, uh, and then just kind of like stare off into Zoom space. <laughs> and then 20 seconds later, like, oh, sorry, I got a Slack message. Yeah. Enough yeah. that it feels like a part of everyday life now. Oh, no mm. worries. Let me just repeat what I was saying. No, no yeah. problem. Yeah. It's mm. notifications. And, mm. and the other one you brought up, this idea that losing my train of thought. I'm a little bit more torn about this one. Because on the yeah. one hand, I think that associative thinking is really valuable. Mm. This ability to let our minds wander yeah. and make their own connection and yeah. kind of... Uh, I view this as a type of deep thought, yeah. non-distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, I feel like there is like a weird, I don't know what you call it, but like if you're, if you're constantly distracted, I think of distraction as like scrolling on. So I think there's, I think maybe this good, good distinction. Like there's, there's the distraction of, um, there's the distraction where, I'm attempting to be focused on one task and then mm-hmm. there's a discrete event that distracts me. Yep. And now my attention is elsewhere. That, that's yeah. the notification. Yeah. It's a different kind of distraction, which is a sort of cognitive deadening. And yep. <laughs> it's like, it's anti-boredom, but it's also so cognitively unfulfilling in the long term that it, that it almost replicates boredom. Yes. It's like scrolling on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever information yeah. feed it is. Yeah. TikTok and you, you get the, the momentary stimulation of, of rapid bursts of new content mm-hmm. across infinite different number of topics. Yeah. Uh, but you sit there for hours and then afterwards you can feel kind of a little bit meh, a little bit bleh. Yeah. It's like not mentally engaging. It's, 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 it's like superficially you know, it's a superficial level of like attention that you're giving to the thing. So, so one, one quick refinement of, I guess the two things that I was describing. So I was describing in the mind wandering thing, um, less of the innocuous, like I'm sitting on a hilltop, letting my mind wander and more of the, and and not even quite the, I'm going to, you know, go to my phone and scroll on Instagram, although that might be a a more common version still, but, but more of the like noisy cognition where like I'm focused, I'm thinking about something and there's like an intrusive, like Mm. thought about like, Oh, I better go resolve this thing that I just recalled or just remembered, or is maybe running in the background and then comes to the forefront. That's Mm. a very common experience for me. And one that I actively like manage in my work life 
which is the time I will say, like, maybe it's a bit weird to say, but I almost the only time really when my focus is intentionally on a, on a single thing at a time when I really try to sustain focus for long periods is during the workday, which is kind of a depressing thought in, in its own right, because it's like, if I think about my other activities, it's very rare that I'm doing one thing at a time if I'm not working. If I'm cooking, I'm listening to a podcast. If I'm what makes this depressing you know. to you? Why not say, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> at work, I only do one thing at a time because it's it's boring. And at home, I'm stimulated by all these things I love doing. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to squeeze in as many as possible. Yeah. What what yeah. why why would you want to achieve this level of focus outside of work? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. I think like I think maybe one part of it is like feeling like the need to always be stimulated or to try that the phrase you use to squeeze as much of the things I like into my non-work time as possible. So like, if I like cooking and I like podcasts, I should like podcasts while I'm cooking. Um, but the other thing is like that feeling of needing to fit more in will like the research is pretty clear that that will degrade my mental results and capacity by trying to do more than one thing. And so like at this, at this point, you know, I've been, I've gotten refreshed my library card since moving to Arlington. I like have books on, I'm trying to like listen to more books than podcasts. And so like, I'm going through like, you know, like a book a week, just like listening to them. And I'm always multitasking when I am listening to them. And that's a terrible way to read, to ingest information. Um, Cause like, you, you know, Johan Harari, uh, you know, mentioned this, this study that um, I think it was a study by Hewlett Packard and it measured uh, office workers taking an IQ test, one being distracted regularly and trying to answer calls and emails and multitasking, and one not. And it blew my mind, the result. He, he described the result as being 10 IQ points off of the test as a result of, seemingly as a result of having to multitask, which is more than being stoned, than being high. It's like, you, you should rat, you should, you should actually just sit there and, and get stoned and listen to a book rather than, you know, listen to a book and also cook. Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm like, I'm always of mixed minds about this yeah. idea that um, multitasking involves some sort of cognitive penalty that. Mm. So I think, I think there's like maybe like two potential counter arguments. So, yeah. so one is um, I, I do two tasks instead of one in the same period of time. I do each one. 80% is effectively, but sure. if uh, maybe it's, there's some sort of like two tasks done 80% of the way is like 160% sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. units of something yep. versus if being fully focused, I only achieve hundred percent of one thing. So yeah. uh, maybe the cognitive penalty is worth it. Yep. You kind of one thought. Um, yeah. Another is, uh, another is, well, clearly I can multitask. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm breathing right now. I'm, talking yeah. to you. I'm also, I have a visual perception of you on the, on the zoom screen. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my body has awareness of, of where I'm sitting, some of these different textures around me. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it never feels fair to me to just say like, Oh, we can't, we can't multitask. Sure. Um, and so I'm wondering like, like when, when you think that there is a, this, like maybe you experience, like, I think you said maybe 
um, you're doing a disservice to a book or something if, you, mm. if you're if you're splitting your attention while listening to it. What, yeah. what do you think you miss out on when? I think like fidelity is probably the term most applicable to what I miss out on. It's like, I probably get the large themes of the book, but one of the main benefits of, of a book versus a summary is the level of detail that you derive from it, which is, which is the thing that I'm trying to get from a book, right? It's like, like I'm, I'm, you know, intentionally trying to move away from summary information to like, detailed information to try to add like a higher bar of evidence to my interpretation of stuff. You know, like it's not just a description. It's not just like a, a helpful narrative. It's like actually paying attention to the studies that they cite so that I think about questioning their methodology and things like that. Um, so I think it's like, it truly is that like maybe the, maybe the penalty is 20%. Maybe it's more. I think. I think to your point, like there's a difference between any activity and like an inco- a cognitively like engaging activity. Um, you know, like like driving a car and listening to music, or driving a car and like listening to an audiobook. Like you can drive the car. <laughs> like there's no, there's just no sense in which you can't drive the car and you can probably drive the car pretty much all the way as safely, you know, it probably diminishes when you start to take other more mentally engaging activities, right? Like it's probably easier to safely drive a car while you listen to music than listen to an audiobook. easier still listen to an audiobook than reading a physical book. Um, <laughs> or something like that. easier to drive listening to an audio yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well there's yeah there's probably physiological problems with that <laughs> there's something about the physiological interaction of like the sensory input involved mm-hmm. in both of these tasks i think is relevant like yeah driving and listening driving mm-hmm. is primarily visual listening is yeah. primarily auditory mm-hmm. um seems like it perhaps creates less of a conflict than yeah driving and, and physically reading a book or, you know, more applicable driving and, and texting or driving and yeah. looking at your phone in, in some capacity. Yeah. Um, I wonder about channels as well. I think of myself as a single channel processor, which is like maybe like more of a computery term, but I think that's like really how I experience the world, which is like, I can, I could drive and listen to an audiobook but I can't listen to you and listen to an audiobook, and I can't read a book and listen to an audiobook, and I can't talk and, and listen to an audiobook. Um, so like, there is something about like how much of the part of your brain it's using in like the specific part and whether that channel is already in use or not. It, you, like thinking about your, I get a Slack message. And if it were just any notification that didn't, Pull, not only pull your attention, but also engage the same like parts of your brain as the conversation you're having. I imagine it'd be a much easier thing to e- even ingest while you're having that conversation, while you're like on that meeting. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right about this. And it's the context switching and the relevant parts of the brain mm. that like, create this yeah. real negative effect of, of the switching and of the distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something you alluded to earlier, this idea that when you're folk, 
it, it seems kind of anecdotally, but but autobiographically true to me that the accomplishments and the work that I'm most proud of in my life that I find the most meaningful, um, sure. that I'm most likely to identify as kind of constitutive of living a good life mm. are ones that require focus and yeah. discipline and a willingness to mm. kind of persistently stay engaged and, yeah. and, and not, I think the thing about distraction is that it's easy and, mm. and kind of enjoyable. Like I, I, kind of like sugar it's like it is enjoyable for sure yeah 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 why, why, why do you think that is what do you think it is about distraction that is well, enjoyable okay okay so this is actually where i think some of the research becomes really interesting um and and i don't mean to like just like rattle off a bunch of research and stuff but this this book called the distractive mind um by um adam gazali and, and larry rosen uh both neurology and psychology professors um, at universities in California, um, they like, so they, they're studying this problem of distraction, right? And in this one part of the book, they're specifically talking about um, what they describe as um, top-down internal uh, distraction which is it's goal directed right like it's 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 switching from i'm doing this task to i want to be doing this task it's internally triggered as opposed to as opposed to like a notification which would be an external trigger it's internally triggered by like you know a thought comes to your mind and you want to go switch that task the thing i was describing earlier like oh i should go think about this other thing right now so it's that goal directed you're intentionally kind of switching your focus it's internal because the motivation is like coming internally you're choosing to switch uh specifically um but it's like interacting with typically the external environment something like something like going from instagram to facebook or like wikipedia to following this other link on Wikipedia. And so they attempted to model that experience of switching and like the seeming pleasure of getting to switch information sources. And they modeled it using, and were able to predict when people would switch using Model mathematical models that would predict when animals would switch foraging locations. So you think of like a squirrel in a tree, right? And like the benefits start to decline over time. They get less marginal benefit for every increased minute there. There's less fertile stuff. But the relationship between that tree and the next tree, how far it is, controls the cost of switching locations also like the opportunity cost of missing stuff here the risk that there might not be more in that other tree all that sure. stuff okay so just just to make sure i have this right you're imagining yeah. a, a a squirrel forest foraging, foraging. yes yeah. yeah i'm at one tree i'm enjoying my nuts yeah. and uh i i noticed that there's there's a limited amount of nuts in this tree the more the nuts i eat from this one tree the harder it is to find the next nut yep so I start to think, well, maybe I should change my attention. I should change yeah. my focus to yep. the next tree in the forest and go mm -hmm. and go see if there's nuts there. Yeah. And yeah. And they were essentially able to apply the mathematical model that would predict foraging for food 
and act and and accurately predict forage what they you know uh hypothetically called foraging for information which was that experience of you know i'm here i start to experience like boredom which is the term that you used it starts to be displeasurable to be here because i'm getting less marginal information benefit from being in this location maybe watching this lecture listening to this particular podcast that you listen or are listening to right now um, and you go engage somewhere else instead but importantly one of the variables here is the switching costs right it's much higher switching costs to go pick up a different book than is to then it would be for like you to like lose interest in what i'm saying and pick up your phone um, and so the lower that switching cost, the 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 more frequent those information foraging switches switches are going to occur. And it's going to feel good in the moment because you're going to feel like you're avoiding boredom, like you're getting more out of it, um, even if you're not. Yeah. I, so I, I'm almost imagining like um, like thinking this this happens to me all the time when I'm trying to like choose a show to watch on Netflix or something. Mm. So I'll start watching this one and then I'll be like, ah, you know, I don't think I'm into this one. Let me watch the next one. And then let me watch the next, you know, I'm trying to find the optimal show to watch. And I yeah. kind of, I'm just going to keep searching <laughs> for the perfect show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, like and, and it genuinely happens. I can spend an hour searching for a show. It's very difficult yeah. to think that the constant switching for an hour has actually benefited mm. me more than mm. if I just watched something a full episode of something. Sure. For yeah. And, and that's, um, it's trivial when it comes to this like leisure activity of watching Netflix. It doesn't matter really if I, if, if I watch a full show, yeah. it seems a lot more significant though, if it comes to, um, topics, we actually like want meaningful work. Yeah. News politics, the way we engage with the world around us. Yeah. If we're constantly looking for what's, what's next, what's most interesting. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't pause to, to engage at a level that's maybe boring, but involves nuance and, yeah. and depth. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And Wait, it has to be that sustained focus. It has to be finishing the article, looking for the longer article, the less summary versions of things. Yeah. And, and, and I think like, like what I want to like, like hmm, drive the conversation towards is does distraction actually matter? Or is it, is it fine? Is it, you know, I should feel good about my TikTok usage and my Instagram usage and my yeah. Twitter usage and my yeah. Slack notifications and, and whatever else it is, is the endless scroll, the endless context switching. Is it okay? You know, if, mm-hmm. is this just, uh, it's, it's a part of life that brings me, you know, some, some, like perhaps I have some feeling of ennui with it, but at the end of the day, like it's harmless and, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> And part of the cost of just kind of being engaged with the world today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that all it is? Like, is that all I should care about this? Is, is or do you think there's more at play? Yeah. I think on the one hand, there's a huge benefit, right? Like universal access to extensive and summary information, because that's the only way you can ingest it, has made us all in many ways effective generalists at things. We can th- think about topics that, Many people, like you wouldn't be able to think about unless you were, you know, back in, back in the 1700s, unless you were Thomas Jefferson spending 16 hours a a day in your library. So like, yeah, I have a point of view on any topic. I can think about any topic. Yes. Cause I have, I have, I have been the incredible beneficiary of 
summary information on every single topic. The, in, the world is an encyclopedia at my fingertips. Do you think you've ever been an inflictor of uh, negative consequences on the basis of forming points of view on cursory Topics that I shouldn't? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I think that's, I think absolutely. And I think that's a, a very, like, I think that's one of the more dangerous traits of like human psychology is the, the uh, amazing, our amazing ability to stra- extrapolate and our willingness and our tendency to extrapolate from as little as information as we have. It's like, on one hand, it's really powerful because it's like with, with, no information, almost no information about my environment. I'm going to start trying to infer things and then immediately start testing in those hypotheses. And it can be a really effective and efficient way to gather really good information about the world. At the same time, it, in my experience, it very, very quickly becomes motivated where you are motivated to arrive at the conclusions that you formed initially. Think about like, think about when you first meet someone and you, you get first impressions and you start and you start building your mental picture on, of them based so, on all of the confirming characteristics that you get and you discount the ones that are disconfirming of the mental picture you initially formed. I think so I think in many ways like there has to be an extreme openness and willingness to totally change what you think with new information if that's going to work at all and like that's really hard uh and i've absolutely you know inflicted negative stuff on the world by by virtue of having an uninformed but very strong opinion we call that blooming in my family that's we have a name for it. <laughs> oh that's great yeah wow yeah and and, and so like th- this strikes me as um it strikes me as a reasonable as a reasonable thought that um, that the world is a complex place and that mm. the problems we face collectively as a society, whether it's um, increased polarization in politics, whether it's the existential threat of climate change, whether it's our ability to come together as a community to counteract um, complex biological threats like like something like covid in a way that balances protecting human life with protecting quality of life mm-hmm. these are to me it's it seems reasonable to think these are, are genuinely complex difficult yeah. nuanced issues mm-hmm. and in my life i tend to think that I come up with the best solutions when I'm able to focus, able to sit with something, able to dig deeply and develop yeah. some degree of not just a point of view, but actual expertise. Yeah. Part of, part of expertise is like really understanding other people's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I do genuinely, I, I genuinely worry that the ways in which we are distracted in life, which I think are new. I mean, this is the other thing, right? Like people have always been distracted. The craving, the enjoyment of distractions always been there, Mm -hmm. but the internet, our access to information has not, like it it really is just a blip. It's so new. And, And when something's so new and yet so prevalent, it's reasonable to try and investigate, does this have consequences on our, on our, on our life and and on the way, the way we function. And and I really worry that distractedness 
staying, having access to so much, but always staying on the surface level harms our ability to productively and, and optimally solve the complex problems that mm. we need to solve as a species. Arguably some of the biggest problems we've ever needed to solve as a species. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. I th- yeah. And I think it'd be one thing if we could, if like it didn't seem to have some kind of sustained effect, like if, if yes, from the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., I'm consistently distracted by Slack messages. And that's like part of my job. That's what I'm doing. But after those hours, you know, I don't feel the unavoidable pull to try to divide my mind. I don't feel that. I have to do more than one thing at one time, or I have to constantly switch between things. But it seems like, it seems like that may, that there may be like kind of a penumbra of being distracted that overshadows. Mm ability to focus other times you know yeah i think you're i think you're right and and i, I really like how you how you put that right like if if it, if it was an isolated element of of life and if it didn't um and it, 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 i assume this has to do with kind of the the biochemical reactions we have to distraction like we crave distraction distraction yeah distraction in and of itself is not a a bad thing like yeah. like Sure. There are times when being distracted can be really fun and like really yeah. good. And ultimately like being distracted is a sur- evolutionarily ingrained survival technique. Mm, yeah. You know, if you're foraging and you don't notice the panther, those people go extinct really fast, way faster. <laughs> sure, right? Yeah, you need to, yeah, it exactly. It feels right? very good to be distracted by something. Yeah. I When I first started like when I started thinking about distraction, it was largely because I felt like my, the hours I was spending after work were not as fulfilling as I wanted them to be. Mm, It was, I finish work and I don't feel like I have the focus left to use my time in a way that 10 years from Mm. now, I'll look back on and say that was meaningful. Meaningful, And I want to be obsessive about this because like, I only get to live life once and It's not that long. There's no guarantee about how long it'll last. And so I want to use it in ways that the moments just don't pass me by, but I can look back on them and feel like there there was meaning and value there. And and so much of that to me is tied up in focus. It's the ability to learn something new, to engage in a hobby, whatever it is. Like, it's not so much about Mm -hmm. what it is. Can I persistently, there's so much joy I get out of learning a craft or like getting Mm. better at something. And you only get better when you spend time and focus and persistence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so like, for me, it felt like, you know, it was the personal life, but I think you're so right. That it's like, I become so addicted to distraction in so many different areas of life. I always want to juggle tasks. I always want to multitask and it feels good in the moment. And it leaves me feeling unsatisfied. Yeah. So now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, tips for good. So tips for good. We do every week. Uh, to provide you with a bit of very tactical information that 
you can use to make the world a little bit of a better place. Um, so this week, our tip is to use a new tool from cdc.gov to uh, track your county level, your community level COVID-19 risk. And the tool is actually very cool. Um, you can put in your state and your county, and it will tell you the current level of uh, community you know, transmission and um, infection in your area. And according to that level of infection, it will provide you with like tactical information about the, the kinds of precautions that you should be taking in your community. So for example, if I put in Virginia and then I put in Arlington County where I live, I press go, it shows me that our risk is currently medium. So if you're at high risk of severe illness, you should talk to your healthcare provider uh, about whether you need to be wear a mask and take other precautions. You should stay up to date on your COVID-19 vaccines and you should get tested if you have symptoms. It's awesome. And it's a actually tactical, useful way for all of us to determine the best uh, way for us to keep our community safe and ourselves safe um, as we're kind of living with COVID-19. So you can find this tool if you go to cdc.gov um, on the homepage, you can, uh, you can go to diseases and conditions, click, uh, coronavirus disease 2019. Uh, you go to your health on the menu tab and then COVID-19 by County. And right there you can find the tool and it'll tell you exactly how to keep yourself and your community safe from COVID-19. So for our last topic, we are talking about well, like loosely like wonderlust, like that that feeling of being driven to like travel and experience new things and like the best is out there in the world and all that stuff. And maybe like more concretely, like the seeming trend in millennials and Gen Zers to like pick different lifestyles, different paths, non-traditional careers in order to like be able to live abroad or travel a bunch or, or something like that. Cause like, it's, it's like a really interesting time to be kind of like a young person because traveling and like, quote unquote, like seeing the world is according to a Deloitte study, like now a top ambition among millennials and Gen Z. So According to one study they put they put together, fifty seven percent of Gen Z and millennials list ambition like their top ambition is like seeing the world. Wow, which beats like yeah, beats like higher earnings and salary, which is at like fifty two percent for millennials, fifty six for Gen Z. Beats owning their own homes, which is at forty nine percent for millennials, fifty two percent G. Opposite of Wanderlust. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes like, we want them both, but they are. Yeah. <laughs> it even this was crazy to me. It even beat making a positive impact on the world, which is forty six percent for millennials. Yeah, I mean forty seven percent. Well, yeah, but like you'd think, like if if your if your view of the world was as external focused as like wanting to see it all, <laughs> you'd think maybe it's these people that are like wanting to be one with the world, you know, be authentic, be true, but yeah. no, it's That's a beautiful travel. thought. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and it even beats having kids as like um an you know listed among. Well, I mean, there's the there's like this this you know there is this subculture within um. Uh, I mean, I'm much familiar with it from a religious context. I'm sure mm. it's elsewhere of this, this idea of, well, let's just combine the two. Let's do good in the world and travel and see the world at the same sure. time. So let's, sure. You know, let's go to let's mission paint some buildings for four days and then sit on the beach for three days and yeah. <laughs> feel good about ourselves. And we can sit <laughs> until we see that they reap they painted over the poor paint job that we did on the building when yeah. we went there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, no, I, I, I don't mean to be cynical about desires to do sure. good in the world. That there is no way to do good in the world except for to try and do, like, mm. right? I yeah, think. maybe yeah. not. I mean, you could accidentally do good in the world, but most sure. likely, some intention to do good would be involved in, in the Certainly actual helpful. Yeah, but but wanderlust. Yeah, the desire yeah. to be. Helpful. Well, it's just it's just crazy that it's like, that is like a the most commonly listed ambition for these for like young people's lives for like so the first think, generation let ever ask, let me ask you a question wanderlust yeah. uh overrated or underrated <laughs> well i mean the buddha would say <laughs> seeking yeah. things you do not have is always overrated <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah the buddha would would almost certainly say that yeah um but yeah, yeah i don't but i there's a thing i really like it you know like i specifically as i think about the career choices i'm going to make in the next couple of years they won't include quitting my job in the near future to travel on a shoestring budget um however as I think about the way I'm like the thing about the way they, what they will include, they will include geographic flexibility and like likely a heavy dose of remote work. They will include a lot of vacation time because if I think about like what I want to be doing, it's other stuff. <laughs> uh, and I was talking, I was talking with Brie about this over dinner before recording. I, I was asking her like, we always travel for our vacation. We very rarely take a vacation day that isn't traveling to go do something fun. We try to do longer trips at least two weeks. And I was like, why? Like, why? What are we, what are we looking for in those trips? So I know you travel, like I pose the same question to you. Like when you travel, like what, what's, what are you trying to get out of it? Hmm. I think it's, hmm. A good Instagram photo. Yeah, that's know. probably it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> C. Haynes is uh -oh. very. Uh, yeah, I, just, I want to prove jealousy in others. Sure. <laughs> I want to know that I'm really sucking the marrow out of life and that others are stuck at their desk and, and suffering. That mm. brings me a lot of joy. A lot of joy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if I could travel and not put it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, no, probably wouldn't do it. Probably um, wouldn't do that. Yeah, but, that's fair. Influence. Um, yeah, a broadening of like more serious. Yeah, yeah. A broadening of perspective, the mm -hmm. ability to see the world somewhat differently. I, I know yeah. I'll only ever live my life, but I also recognize that my life is one of 
inconceivable number of lives that in some abstract sense I could have lived. I could mm. have been born in, born in different times, different places. And mm. to be able to see a small glimpse of that, it can be really inspiring and really interesting mm. and really, really life-giving. There's also a lot of beauty in the world. To see that beauty can it's the opposite of distraction to go on a long hike, to venture out into the, how spectacular nature can be and to, to push my physical limits, to be able to experience that nature in a way that feels, mm. um, in a way that makes me feel good and embodied and a part of the earth and, and a yeah. one with the earth and, and to recognize that things out there are bigger than myself. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. That's how interesting. But mainly for the Instagram photo. It mainly for the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was funny. So, so when Brie and I were talking about it, we kind of landed on a similar, but but importantly, I think distinct answer, which was, so this was this was more Brie's answer than mine, but the answer was like essentially, I'm looking for varied experience. I'm looking mm. to like get something very different from my normal experience but also the reason we like to do longer trips is because we want to live it mm -hmm. live that experience not just have it so like get an experience of like you know living out of a van for two weeks and like get the routines and have a have like a little taste of a truly different life for mm -hmm. them than the one we currently have so maybe that is pretty similar uh to what you how, described how um how, if at all, do you think your experience of time changes? Mm, so much. That's such a good, that is such a good answer. I was thinking about that specifically related to this in my notes. I literally have, uh, as I was thinking about this topic, I literally have, um, uh, wanting to find meaning through varied experiences, uh, trying to find unique experience to to like enrich the sense of the remembered self, not just the experiencing self. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like to, to your point, like time does feel so different at a different pace. And like, and I, I always chalk that kind of thing up to being able to like engage with my experiences, having them be varied from day to day enough that the days are actually different. And so I'm not experiencing a compressed remembered self, but actually like one that has all of the days of the experience, you know? Yeah. Hmm. What, so for me, to me, like this wanderlust question, like really is kind of double-edged. Like, like I was, yeah. I was joking about the Instagram thing, but I, I, I do think that there is something a little bit vain and neurotic about the way that mm. we've normalized the projection of the highlights of our life and how mm. closely tied that is to to not just travel but but also glamorous travel yeah the, um mm. i'm at the fancy restaurant i'm, I'm wearing the fashionable whatever it is sure um, athleisure clothes yeah. it's all lululemon <laughs> patagonia over here for sure um and so I, I want to live in this tension of there are so many things about travel that are genuinely 
engaging and, and life-giving and meaningful, but there's also, it's against a backdrop where travel is really in, embedded in a lot of the other things in life that I don't think are always good. Hmm. There's a lot of people who are very consumed. There's like a, hmm. there's a consumerism around travel. Yeah. It's oh, part yeah. of a capitalist structure that, hmm. is, um, you know, environmentally very harmful to the world. The amount of travel we do, it's, it, it can yeah. be viewed as very frivolous. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. How, how do you kind of try and like live in this, this tension or, or what's that make you think of? I, really ignore it <laughs> no so like for me so Bree's pretty active on social media i'm pretty much not uh at least on like the posting side i i think that there probably is a sense a part of me that like is motivated by some of these cool experiences but i don't know that it's different from like reading through a travel magazine although maybe that's exactly the same thing which is the the parts of my the fomo parts of my brain combined with like a, another life would be a better life parts of like you know thoughts all line up to get me to spend a bunch of money to fly somewhere <laughs> um like so maybe that's really part of the same the same trend um but in terms of like the actual like experience of it I think I almost never think like, boy, the picture is going to turn out great. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Like, I think I do. I mean, I do for sure, like take pictures. I'll take videos and stuff, sure. but yeah. I never, I almost never put them anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, I think they really are more of a documentary experience. Um, but like, if I'm like on a hike, you know, I think of like the, one of the most beautiful hikes I've ever done when we were in Alaska, it was like, you know, you know, there are so many easier ways to look like you did something, like you look like you saw something beautiful and had an awesome hike aside from doing it. Like we're planning a trip to Peru. We're going to hike to Machu Picchu. Nice. You can take a bus to Machu Picchu. <laughs> like, I, and I, I have taken a bus to Machu Picchu. Yeah. Um, and, and which is like a totally great way to see Machu yeah. Picchu. It's a much more efficient route. Sure, um, it lacks the mystique of the. Sometimes, like travel done at its best, is not just about the destination. The, I the completely agree. Very much a part of it, and um, I think the journey enhances the destination one hundred. Why I this is why like I sometimes get so frustrated with air travel because air travel always seems to detract from the experience of anything. <laughs> it's miserable, and um, it's harder to canoe to Iceland though. Like. <laughs> It's, it's definitely a means to an end, um, but travel in and of yeah right. So travel part of travel is that it's not a mean a means to an end. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a really. I wonder if that's what makes it feel so worthwhile while you're doing it. Is it there are so few things that feel like ends in themselves. If I think mm -hmm. if I think about it. like even if I think about human interactions that I have, like it's just when I interact with my friends and my family that like, I feel like that's an interaction I'm just having, but like I interact way more with my coworkers and if they're listening, no offense, but like I'm in it for the money. Um, <laughs> um, Shame on you. I'm just kidding. Yeah. 
<laughs> like, but like, but like, I feel like that's it's it's interesting. Like, there are like, it makes me think of this one experiment on like school kids who love to draw, and they like they took all this group of school children who love to draw, and half of them, when they finished a drawing, they would give them a gold star, and. Every time, no, no, how, no matter how good or bad, but, but very quickly they stopped drawing because, uh, they were, they, they stopped drawing for fun. Like they would just draw for the gold star. And if you took the gold star away, they stopped drawing. They didn't like it anymore. It totally having a, another end, having the medium be a means ruined it hmm. <laughs> for these kids. Um, and it's like, and I wonder about that ability for uh, any activity used as a means to start to feel like it's only a means and not an end in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, I don't know. I like genuinely like solving problems and puzzles and things, which is, you know, one of the things I like about my job. I wonder, and I really try to remember that when I'm at my job, but I, but like, sometimes it's hard to, you know, just be motivated by that by itself, you know, somewhat unrelated, but I don't know why it triggered me to think of this, but if you, when you're traveling, do you think you tend to be more or less stressed than you are in your less life? Well, well, certainly less for sure. It's also just different mm-hmm. stress. Yeah. Sure. Even if you do feel stressed, it's a bit different. Yeah. But also, I think it's a very privileged position to be stressed, which I, to, I should say to not feel stressed while I'm traveling. So one of the reasons I don't feel stressed is I pretty much believe that money can get you out of pretty much any situation. And if you have enough access to enough money, you can probably be fine. Um, Fair. So from that perspective, like, I find it pretty easy to not be too stressed when I'm traveling at the same, um, at the same time, like I find the experience of not being stressed while I'm doing something challenging, really empowering. Mm -hmm. If I think back like this past weekend, I was on this bike trip with two of my brothers rode 160 miles in three days. It's freaking exhausting. Like the last 40 miles were totally miserable. And it often felt like, like we would not accomplish it. And like many, and we had like no plan, like the whole second day we were riding places that we didn't know where we were going. We ended up doing a bunch more elevation than we probably should have or planned to do. But like the feeling of being like, well, we'll just tackle it. Mm-hmm. Whatever comes and figure it out was like, Oh man, it was like, one of the most self-assured feelings I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this, that's part of the stimulation of travel. We get the stimulation yeah, adventure, yeah. well, but it breaks our routine and it forces us into situations where we feel confident. We're not terrified of the situation. We don't think mm. something will go catastrophically wrong. Yeah. It engages our problem solving capacity in, in a somewhat different way. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think like when I think of travel in my life, um, 
I, I remember like certain periods of life having different realizations about travel. So um, when I was in college, I traveled for eight months. And Jeez, I Jeez, that's so long. Yeah, it was a long time. Oh I distinctly God. remember at some point feeling like, hey, this is travel. It feels like everyday life now. I just mm. do every day, new place, packing my bag, unpacking, new bed. Um, mm. They're figuring out what I want to do next. Where I go. There was a part of it that became routine. Yeah, um, I was curious. And, and it made me realize it, it changed in a lot of ways. My, it made me realize that travel in and of itself is not a meaningful life yes yeah um, it can add a lot of interest and nuance and be a catalyst for for meaning in life mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. a part of what makes it special is somewhat that doesn't happen all the time yeah um but then more recently less exciting because i haven't been traveling around the world but the last two years i've been living in airbnbs around the u.s um as a result of you know privileged remote work pandemic situation and um it has changed my life and it's changed my values in ways that i've been a little bit surprised about in in particular the way in which i value nature um Mm. which i think was part of pandemic travel pandemic travel made cities less appealing yeah i wasn't gonna go spend a month in new york city in the middle of the pandemic i was gonna go spend a you know a month in utah hiking and yeah in that time that I've spent outside in nature consistently, um, and I think it fits into what we were talking about earlier, in nature without technology, without mm-hmm. the ability to be as easily distracted, yeah, um, but with the freedom to let my mind wander mm. and the freedom to be um, like embodied, like in my body mm. and engaged with the physical activity of 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 being is has become something that does feel really meaningful to me Mm. um and something that has made my life richer and and like meaningful in like 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 actual ways and Mm. um but this meaning that i found out of travel meaning is maybe too strong of a word is somewhat like it's it is still like to me at least it feels different than the type of travel that is where's the trendiest destination what's the swankiest hotel what's the restaurant that's supposed to get a reservation at Mm. um not that those aren't still great experiences yeah they are like like i i I don't want to discount that yeah um it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I never think of traveling to cities as travel. To me, traveling to cities is the same as air travel. It's totally just a means to get uh, somewhere else, <laughs> um, it's, which is really funny to think about because I, I, that's definitely not true for other people. I, it's probably just a defect of or maybe a feature of the way that I've traveled, which is like mostly like going somewhere like renting a car and like going skiing or going hiking or living out of a van for a while or something like that. Like, I don't think I've ever done, Oh, I, I, I know that I've never done like a city by city tour or something. And like, if I think about, so when I went to China, 
China is probably the time I spent the most time in cities. Went to China for like 13 or 14 days, spent a couple of days in Beijing, a couple of days in Hangzhou, and a couple of days in Shanghai. And the parts of that trip that I remember loving were when we were hiking in between mm. those places. <laughs> yeah. You know? Why? Do you, do you, why? I don't, I don't really know. I think it's because when I'm in the cities, I always feel like I could be getting more out of it. Like every time I'm like walking somewhere, or like, it's like, is this the best restaurant? Is this like the, the restaurant I should be having? Mm. Like, you know, like, yes, Beijing, Peking Duck. That was the best meat of my life. And like, I'm <laughs> sure that that was a great place to get it and really meaningful, like cool experience. Um, but like, you know, going through Red Square or like spending a whole day like walking through different parts of historic Beijing, like some of it was cool. But most of the time, I feel like I remember myself going like, I, I remember going, you know, thinking, uh, is this really the amazing experience that I should be having here? Hmm. Like, feel it like what do you think what do you think set the expectation like the what's the yeah i i don't know maybe it was just that like i felt like every moment should be like an incredible life-changing moment hmm. um and like all of like many moments were cool like going to the great wall was cool all that stuff but the really cool experiences i've had places have all been when I've been able to be there for a longer period of time and get out of that feeling that I'm seeing the place and start to feel like I'm in the place, you know, like I've got like, Oh, I found a bakery that I like that has nice coffee and I'm going to grab that in the morning. And I'm going to do that every morning. Cause my routine is what like helps make me feel like I'm a part of this place yeah. and that's what makes me feel like i'm having an experience here that's part of my life and not just like watching a movie or something mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so if you're talking to like a, I don't know, like a a nephew or a cousin or just a friend or somebody, somebody younger than you say like yeah. 10 years younger you know kind of getting you know towards the end of high school and thinking about what um the future might look like what what would you what would you tell someone about travel and wanderlusts hmm. i would probably tell them like pick like places and be there for a few days like four or five or six days and like try to like be present there and part of it you know and like see the stuff but don't anchor yourself necessarily to like the tourist destinations you know like think about when someone has told you a story about their travels right Think about the things that make them so excited. Mm. Like if you if you talk to someone that, who goes to Rome, mm -hmm. I, many people have told me about trips to Rome. They certainly mention Vatican City. They certainly mention like maybe a fountain. They'll show me a picture or something. But the things that get them so excited are when they were like the only, like the people that like, found a hole in the wall restaurant that like wasn't on the guidebook map and it turns out it was like the best meal of their whole trip yeah like that's the stuff that gets people really excited and you can see it you can hear it in their voice and you can see it on their faces um and it's like that experience of like 
you know, feeling like you've like adventured and discovered something and, and all that. Yeah. When I was in, um, when I spent a couple of weeks in Italy, some of my, like looking back on it, the best experiences were um, in cars, funnily enough, but not cars I was driving. There's this, there's this app in Europe called uh, Blah Blah Car and it's long distance ride sharing. So if you wanted to go from like uh, Rome to Milan, I don't know, that's you know, a several hour drive mm-hmm. or something. You could take a bus, you could take a train or you can go on Blah Blah Car, find somebody who's doing the journey anyways and basically pay for their gas money and hitch a mm-hmm. ride. Uh, and so I did this like between several cities in Italy and the conversations I had with the, the locals, you know, with the people who live there mm-hmm. were just going about their everyday life and could share, this is what my life in Italy is like. This is what I think of Italian politics. This is how <laughs> American politics. These conversations, like actually um, engaging with, with people. People yeah. are great. Um, yeah, people, people in nature are often what I kind of mm. find value in traveling. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, how this figures into the way we like craft our lives long-term like, like, okay. If, if travel is what is where meaning is, which I think probably is not the case, but like, okay, how do you do it all the time? Or like, how do we help orient our lives so that we can do the things that we find meaningful? Mm-hmm. but but yeah i think i think like travel probably doesn't to your point like probably doesn't come with its own built-in meaning it probably is like diversion and and all that stuff and you've got to build it in just like anything else right so i think i think yeah but but what i do appreciate about travel relative to everyday life is that it's one, it's something to look forward to. I think having mm. things to look forward to are really important in life. Yeah, yeah. Um, two, it requires planning and foreth- forethought. Travel doesn't just happen. Spontaneous trips can happen, but typically there's a degree of intention involved. Yeah. Um, and sometimes yeah. it's navigating inconvenience to make it. I think like, I really like that one thing about travel is you have a desire and then you think, how do I realize this desire mm. in a way that's not instantaneous and that's not, um, it's not really trivial. Like it involves going somewhere else, physically moving your body, being in a new space, experiencing some conflict, some discomfort, mm-hmm. some potential that things could go wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to me, that's a great part about life. Like I think life is richer when we're willing to take some degree of um, agency over our mm-hmm. lives. So far as we like have the privilege and the capability to do so. Yeah. Doing mm-hmm. stuff is is good. Yeah. How about how about you? How do you think long-term travel fits into the way you want to live your life? Yeah. I think it is more about like being, it's going to be like being in nature or I think it's going to be 
being relatively nomadic, you know, like settling down in a place that's new for a bit. Like, I think there's, there's, there's something about, you know, going there and mastering being there, becoming part of the place. That's mm-hmm. like really cool. Or I think it's going to be, you know, like going and backpacking or hiking or doing those out in nature things in environments that just are totally new and so interesting and so thought provoking. I, I get awe inspired. Like, like when we went to Alaska, partially it was gorgeous, right? But partially it was just so different. Yeah. It was such a different and strange environment. And I found myself marveling the entire time by how diverse and different Mm -hmm. it was from any experience in nature I'd ever had. And that like really added a lot to it. I think that like diversity of experience means Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That word marvel, like marvel, I think like wonder as well like to feel a Mm -hmm. sense of wonder is such a special like cognitive like what like it's such a Mm -hmm. like um Mm -hmm. just just such a great state of consciousness i just i love to feel marvel and wonder at the world and yeah yeah um nature can nature and travel can can help facilitate that And so now we'll end the show as we usually do on our highlights. So Connor, what's your highlight this week? I think kind of like in keeping with Wanderlust, my highlight this week is something I'm looking forward to. It hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. Yeah, yeah. Totally <laughs> I acceptable. Think, I, think like, <laughs> I think it really can be a thing. Um, I'm going to Vancouver to see my grandparents next mm. week, who I haven't seen since before the pandemic. Oh, man. Uh, and this is like the third time I've tried to make a trip to Vancouver in that period. And the other two have been thwarted for COVID reasons that were outside of my control. Yeah. And this time, you know, it's never certain, but it, it feels more likely to happen. And um, uh, I recently spent some time in an Airbnb where Airbnb host was a 90 year old woman, oh my gosh. And, uh, which is just like, you know, however she's lived her life, like sign me up for that. I want some of those vitamins because mm-hmm. you're 90 and running an Airbnb. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, but getting to talk, I, I think getting to talk intergenerationally is something I, to talk to people of different mm-hmm. generations is something that is mm-hmm. not super prevalent in my life and something that I value a lot. It's kind of like travel in the sense of somebody brings to life something for you that, mm-hmm. Except for it's even more elusive than travel because the seventies will never exist again. Yeah. And all that's left are the people that have lived through it and have memories. Hmm. Um, so yeah, super stoked to, to go see my grandparents. That's awesome. How about you, uh, Michael? What's your highlight of the week? I think it's gotta be the bike trip. I did this last weekend. It was awesome. An amazing, like challenging and meditative experience. It's like, cycling for five or six hours a day for three days what do you find meditative about it it's just it's just a very present experience it's like have you did you mow the lawn growing up before you had like an ipad, yeah, or, iPad yeah, or something yeah it's like if, yeah. if just you're you have to be 
physically mm. and to some degree mentally engaged in what you're doing. Mm. There's not other stuff. And um, it makes it, you're just very present. There are like no real other thoughts except like, uh, wow, like this beautiful trail. Like, well, man, I'm like still cycling <laughs> and that and kind of stuff. And that type of experience is, I mean, like, I feel like there's like kind of like a superficial reading on which is kind of like, I don't know if boring is the word, but empty, like what's going on? Yeah. Uh, not much. It's awesome. <laughs> empty, <laughs> like it's so pleasantly empty, especially like being with people that I'm really close to being with my twin brother and my oldest brother. Like there's also a sense of comfort in, in the emptiness. Like, I don't know if you've ever just sat in silence with people that you're yeah. close to, but there's something really communal about being comfortable in silence with people. It's like, there, there are only a few people that you're comfortable mm-hmm. doing nothing and not talking to. Definitely. It's like beyond rapport. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's like familiarity and, and trust and yeah, type of easy camaraderie. Yeah, exactly. And so like, it's just a very unique experience to have. It's super, it's rejuvenating in a way um and also just exhausting and empowering and fun so oh that's awesome that's a great highlight i'm so glad you could do that yeah that's great <laughs> next time i'm coming with you <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome so now we will thank our amazing patrons so thank you to tobias jansen kyle chaska fade out scoop gerard de Viller, and taylor bloom and with that thank you so much for listening to the perspectrum and you'll hear from us again next week.